The Bill Myers Show podcast is sponsored by Clouser Drilling. They've been leading the way in Southern Oregon well drilling for over 50 years. Find out more about them at clouserdrilling.com. Mark Tapscott joins me. He is the Epic Times congressional correspondent. And uh, Mitch McConnell, the turtle, is throwing in the towel, announcing he's going to resign, at least as a Senate leader. And it's uh, great to have you on here, Mark. Welcome back to the show. Good morning. Well, it's good to be here, Bill. All right. So you understand these people uh, being a congressional correspondent. And, yeah, I guess you have a key to the restroom, too, hopefully. <laughs> and, uh, you're, you're assuming a lot. There. OK, I guess I am. All right. Never mind. We'll uh, we'll set that aside. In all seriousness, though, uh, this was kind of out of the blue. But at the same point, uh, at the same time, Mitch is 82. Uh, any real surprise out of this uh, this announcement yesterday that he's quitting? Certainly not a surprise in terms of the content. Uh, The timing was something of a surprise. There's been a lot of uh, speculation and and media analysis, especially in the mainstream media, uh, in recent weeks about whether or not McConnell would endorse uh, former President Trump, the uh, 2024 Republican presidential nomination, so when he jumps up and says, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm not going to be Senate minority leader after November, that, that did kind of come as a surprise. Reading between the lines is uh, something I think we have to engage in when, you, when you're dealing with uh, congressional people, especially someone that's been there so long. I mean, my gosh, he's about the longest serving caucus leader ever, you know, in our government. Yeah. And the one thing I don't think he mentioned in that entire uh, farewell speech the other day, he didn't mention Donald Trump at all, did he? I didn't recall that. I I, I was listening, and I don't I don't recall hearing it. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I suspect that um, one of the things that that he did spend a fair amount of time during that uh, farewell speech, if you will. Um, he talked a lot about how he understands the legislative process and he understands the current politics within the uh, Republican Party. And I think that was a way of saying he, he's begun to recognize that his approach to um, uh, moving legislation is too slow and too subject to people becoming frustrated because Politicians make these big grand promises, but then they don't deliver on them. Mm. And that's 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 typical in both parties, not just not just the Republican Party. Uh, probably more so in the Democrats than the Republicans, but still in both of them. And I, I think it was I think that behind that is probably a recognition that uh, you know I'm 82 years old. Um, I've been up there for a long time, and it's time to go. Yeah. When you talk about uh, legislation going slowly, slower than uh, politicians would like, given the promises that are made, that, though, is the way that the Senate is supposed to be operating, if I recall my high school civics uh, courses pretty well. It's all about uh, a cooling saucer, I think, is how it was referred to in civics class. You you recall those lessons very well. That's exactly what the Senate is supposed to do. Um, I'm not referring so much to... The process of, um, you know, the, the the House gets in a big hurry and gets all wound up about something and passes legislation, sends it over to the Senate, and the Senate looks at it and says, well, now, wait a minute, there's there's this problem and there's that problem. Mm-hmm. How can we fix this? Right. And you end, you end up with a compromise, and, and usually it's, you know, it's, it, it's a 
good way to go. Um, what I'm talking about here is, for example, we heard for four months that um, Senator Lankford and Senator Murphy and Senator Sinema were arduously and uh, just in such difficult negotiations, but trying to come up with a solution to the border crisis. And then they announced this bill, and people start reading the actual text of it. And like Senator Lee said, um, after he read it, he said, you know, this, this, doesn't, this doesn't do anything to solve the budget crisis. Yeah, yeah, dead on arrival right then and there. Dead, dead right there, arrival. right? Yeah, and, and people, that happens, you know, so frequently that people get skeptical and they say, you know, I, sorry, I just don't believe anything you say. Is there a tone deafness to the long-term senators and or House members, you know, in, in your opinion, having covered this for years? I'm asking for a speculation. I know you're a facts-based kind of guy, but you have to have some opinion of the process <laughs> observing it all these years, Mark. Well, I'll tell you, uh, here, here's a fact that I think is, bears directly on that. Prior to the Civil War, um, in most new Congresses every two years, most of the members were freshmen. I mean, think about that. If more than half of the new members are freshmen in a Congress, you have a continuous turnover, continuous uh, injection of people who are fresh from the home front, mm-hmm. if you will, and, and really, you know, on top of, of what people are concerned about. After the Civil War, when the federal government really began to, to grow and to centralize, we started this process that really got accelerated in the New Deal, excuse me, where politics and government became a career, whereas before the Civil War, politics was considered uh, not a career, but a public obligation that you did two or three terms and you went home. Mm-hmm. If we got that kind of culture back in Congress, I think it would make a profound difference in in the public's perception of what Congress does. I would agree with you because my general impression of uh, someone who goes to Congress <laughs> is that they go into Congress, especially as a freshman, all full of ideas, but usually very little power. You know, <laughs> it's just the way it goes because yeah. you don't have yeah. any seniority. Everything's based on seniority. And so it takes one term just to figure out, you know, where you are. The second term, you start being more effective. And then maybe even so in the third term, I'm speaking of the House, for example, and then it almost is like after six years, seven years or eight years, they start forgetting who they're actually serving. And then you end, you end up serving the machine. Is that kind of what you were alluding to? The uh, blob, the D.C. blob, so to speak, more so than the constituency. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there is a, um, a maxim among uh, folks on the conservative side of the political spectrum that when one of our people gets elected to Congress, they stop being one of our people. And that's very true. I, you know, I hate to say it, but it is very true. It takes two or three terms typically for a member of the House. But you get to the point where your your primary focus is, what do I do today to make sure that I get reelected? Mm-hmm. And you're always on the phone raising money. We know that. And and that's one of the challenges, though, of of challenging a sitting uh, congressman or senator is that uh, it's what, you know, a half million dollars to just to be able to get into a primary, maybe a little bit more. Right. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Typically more. And if you're gonna if you're gonna mount a serious challenge to an incumbent, um, you better have two or three million because you know it's not coincidental that the uh, percentage of of incumbents who get reelected is typically between ninety two and ninety five percent election year in, election year out. Yeah. That's the, the system is rigged for the incumbents. Mark Tapscott's with me. He's the Epic Times congressional correspondent. And, of course, we're a big fan of Epic Times. We subscribe, and uh, we're glad to have you on here, Mark. And let's go back on uh, and Mitch McConnell you know, quitting his leadership position. Uh, do you think he's going to serve out his whole term? Is there any, any talk of his, you know, I still can't help but think that some of this is a bit health-related, even though they downplay that recently. Yeah. I, You know, I... It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, in the middle of, of 25, perhaps he, uh, particularly if there is a repeat of the, the frozen stare episodes mm-hmm. that he's had uh, in recent months, um, you know, because that, that can point to a very serious health problem. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised. On the other hand, um, you know, where's he going to go? Um, he's He's certainly not going to go pick up a new career. No. Um, it, it, and, and he's been here so long, and his wife, Elaine Chow, has been here. She's very much part of the establishment as well. Um, you know, even if he does say, okay, I'm out, I'm not going to finish my term, he's still going to be around. Mm-hmm. So, Okay. Mark, let's uh, talk about um, succession. Is there any talk about who might be able to pick up that gavel for the Republican Party, or is it a little too early at oh, this yeah. point? No, no, not at all. That, oh. About a 90 seconds after he concluded this speech, you know, there were there were journalists saying, well, maybe it could be this guy or maybe it could be that guy. John Thune, who is second in line, is behind uh, McConnell, is the obvious guy you would think, okay, this it'll be his turn now. But Thune is, frankly, he comes from a more moderate position, if you will, within the Republican spectrum. It's really funny you say that, Mark, because my listeners will tend to look at Mitch McConnell as being part of that moderate position. But I guess there's even more moderate available, huh? Well, yeah, absolutely. And then the number three guy, uh, and being from Texas, I hate to say this, but Senator John Cornyn of Texas um, is also... Uh, of a more moderate persuasion, if you will, especially compared to his, his colleague Ted Cruz. Oh yeah, Texas. Um, but both Thune and Cornyn, they've been in for in the Senate for a long time. They have a, a deep knowledge of Senate procedure. Um, you know, they can always make the argument that look, this this is not an ideological job. This is a vote counting job, and therefore a procedural expertise is more important than your particular hmm. philosophical positions. And there's a bunch of Republican conservatives in the Senate who are going to say, that's nonsense. We listened to that for too long, and now we need somebody who is going to fight and is going to stand up and say no to the Democrats. It's it's very analogous to what's been happening in the House. And so we're looking at a toss-up, uh, a pretty much a knockdown drag out on this one. Are they going to oh, vote? 
Are they going to vote? Now, they, he's going to be there through November, I guess, though, in the, in the yeah. leadership position, right? So it's not going to be till yeah. after. All right, so is this going to be after the election, November election, then they'll, yeah. then they'll start talking about that? Yeah, they, they typically do after an election, the end of November, first week of December. Mm-hmm. Um, that way they know who's coming, they know who's leaving. Um, you get, um, I, I, I think this one could get really interesting because there is talk about, for example, um, Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, very conservative, very sharp, very articulate. Um, she would be obviously the first woman to ever hold such a position in the Senate. And there is certainly a uh, concern within the Republican Party, the, the campaign folks, that they've got a problem with women, quote unquote, especially suburban women. So they like to tick a box or two, in other words, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you also have people people forget about Senator Marco Rubio, but before he was elected to the Senate, he was the, I think, youngest ever House Majority Leader in the Florida uh, legislature. So uh, he's very articulate, um, and he's got he certainly has a claim to some legislative expertise. Sure. So, who do you think uh, now? I'm, I'm spitballing about. At this point, it's presumed that we're looking at either uh, former Senator, uh, former President Trump becoming President Trump again. And or uh, or Joe Biden, you know, either way, if it were President Trump, and I certainly hope it were, assuming that he is going to be the nominee, who of the people that are circling around the Republican leadership would probably have the inside track with a President Trump administration? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think that would probably be Ted Cruz, but Uh I don't think Ted Cruz is going to be the next Republican leader in the Senate. Oh, okay. Um, He's, um, you know, he and he and Rubio are both, um, I, I think, among the most interesting people in the characters in the in the Senate. Um, they both, you know, ran against Trump. Trump had some, <laughs> you'll recall, some some pretty rough things to say about both of them. Oh yeah. But after after Trump was elected, um, you know, Cruz and Rubio have been very very strong. Um, backers of most of what President Trump, former President Trump, tried to do. That's that's pretty interesting, too. It's like, all right, yeah, we know the schoolyard bully thing. We're going we're gonna to get past. That actually speaks a lot to those two men, frankly. Yes, it does. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Rubio especially, I, I have to say, he has, um, as when he was chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, he was, I thought, very effective. Uh, he he is, I think, kind of a dark horse in this thing. Okay. When it comes to uh, Mitch McConnell's uh, legacy, what do you believe here, Mark, will be one of the best things he did? And I have and I have one an idea. I mentioned this to listeners uh, a little while ago. But what do you think he'll be most remembered for? Well, I think the the, the most obvious ones are the fact that uh, Donald Trump was able to put three conservative justices on the Supreme Court. Bingo. And that was, yeah. That was that was in no small part due to uh, Mitch McConnell's legislative expertise. He took a lot of incoming over that too. You know, blocking any oh, any voting on uh, Scalia's replacement. So you got to you got to yeah. give him kudos on that. You really do. Absolutely. And he also did the same thing on 
you know, Trump was able to get more than 300 uh, lower federal court justices appointed. Mm-hmm. But I think in the long term, the thing that, that McConnell did that was the most significant, you'll recall back in 2012, 2013, 2014, the Democrats were really pushing hard, and some Republicans were as well, for uh, election law reform. reform. And everybody knew what that really meant was limiting political speech in the form of, of contributions. And McConnell, at uh, some risk to his own uh, career, he was a he was a consistent, strong voice in favor of the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. And I th- I think um, that's at least in my view as a First Amendment fanatic. Um, <laughs> That's that's his most important contribution. Interesting. Long-term. Good take on that. Mark, I appreciate you checking in from the Epic Times, epictimes.com, theepictimes.com. And uh, I'm a big fan of your paper and your website and everything that you folks do over there. And it's easy enough. It, it's not that uh, expensive to get a subscription. I believe we need to be supporting publications like the Epic Times. And I certainly hope that uh, you will. Are you writing on this today, by chance, uh, these sort of issues? Or what other stories are you working on at the moment? Well, actually, I've got a piece up today on the website, which I did. I banged out very quickly yesterday after he made the uh, made his announcement uh, about his legacy and a bunch of comments from various and sundry people uh, about that. Uh, probably Monday or Tuesday, I've got a – Epoch does a series of – we call them special reports. They're in-depth analysis of a particular issue. And this one that I just finished and that will come up next week uh, is on the the explosive growth in the censorship industrial complex, mm-hmm. the way the FBI and the CIA, uh, Department of Homeland Security, have been weaponized, uh, you know, as surveillance and censorship weapons. That, trust me, is a very, very serious problem. Looking forward to reading that special report, Mark. And finally, before you take off, you know, with this budget deal, there's talk that they're going to avoid a government shutdown. Is there any real effort to rein spending in? Or are we just at this point where the situation is such that, okay, you want this, you're going to give me that. You want that? You're going to give me this, and that's all we're dealing with right now because there's there's no major dominate no, no dominant power there. Yeah, you know, I, I it's interesting you you mentioned that because I think Speaker of the House Mike Johnson yesterday in that uh, White House meeting with the President and um, Democratic leaders, his basic point was: look, the border is the number one problem. We've got to address that first and then the other stuff. And I, I frankly, I think that's that's probably the the wisest course to take because, I mean, you know, how much more evidence and proof do we need that, that the country has, uh, has, has suffered tremendously in the last three years as mm-hmm. eight to 10 million illegal immigrants, and we don't know who they are, uh, have come into the country. Uh, and it's it's creating problems at every level of our society, and something's got to be done about it. Yeah, it's it's definitely something has to give at this point. 
And, you know, to tell people that, no, you have to fund Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan first before you even start talking about border, I, I think people are, are just going to go nuts if there's yeah, not some movement. And I say, you, you got it exactly backwards. Yeah. <laughs> so. I appreciate the call. Yeah. And, uh, Mark, we'll have you back. Great talk as always. Appreciate your insight. And thanks again. Be well. Okay, Bill. Have a great day. You boo. You too, rather. rather. Mark Tapscott is the Epic Times Congressional Correspondent, 734 on KMED, KCMD. If you want to enjoy everything an active and vibrant senior community has to offer, the Springs at Anna Maria Medford is the right lifestyle option for you. Life is easier living among friends and neighbors in stylish private apartments with large balconies, all while fully supported by our team of dedicated caregivers and service professionals. The Springs at Anna Maria is located in a quiet neighborhood close to Rogue Regional Hospital. to schedule a tour of the independent and assisted living community. 541-774-1822. Do you take safe drinking water for granted? If you have a well for your water, no one's monitoring what's in your water. It's up to you to be sure that the water you and your family are drinking is safe and free of contaminants. Get your well tested now. Grants Pass Water Lab offers next day results for bacteria tests and a speedy three to five days for a full reporting that meets all state requirements. Online at gpwaterlab.com. Independent and serving the Rogue Valley for over 40 years. Don't miss the Southern Oregon Polar Plunge for Special Olympics and your chance to step out of your comfort zone to benefit youth and adults with disabilities. Get your team together and jump into an unheated outdoor pool, all for a great cause. It's cold enough. Are you bold enough? Your support provides athletes with access to sports, activities, wellness programs, community, and much more. Join us Saturday, March 2nd. The fun starts at 11 a.m. at the Rogue Valley Country Club in Medford. Register your team, volunteer, or skip the dip and donate at plungeoregon.org. The Bill Myers Show is on 106.3 KMED and 99.3 KCMD. All right. Dangerous time. Open phones on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, 770-5633-770-KMED. My email, Bill at BillMyersShow.com. Robin writes me this morning. I was supposed to talk with Jack Beaumont, former spy, former French spy author of The Dark Agenda and also The Frenchman, which was the first novel. Good stuff. Really is. And, you know, you're talking about someone that knows it and lived the spy life and uh, brings it to bear as an author. And we couldn't get him on the air. In fact, the people were telling me, we can't find him. We can't find him. And so I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, he's been hiding, you know, over in Australia someplace. And then Robin writes me, Bill, my daughter lives in Sydney, Australia. It's 1.59 in the morning there. Your spy could be asleep. They're 19 hours ahead of us. Hey, you know, could be, Robin. Appreciate your writing. Bob Hayworth writes in, too. Bill, I hesitate to call in sometimes because I fear you may have already touched on my question. Bob, never hesitate to call. Just bring your banjo. Bring your Kingston Trio banjo and sing the EPI song or something, all right? Now, in all seriousness, (laughs) Bob says, Last night, Fox News scrolled a list of sanctuary Oregon cities and counties both Jackson and Josephine counties were on the list. Is that true? If so, who would set that policy? I can't picture our county commissioners establishing that designation. Uh, Bob, I pretty much assure you that the county commissioners did not establish that. We are county, uh, we are sanctuary counties because the state is a sanctuary state. I think that's what uh, what Fox was probably mentioning and did not really make a distinction. The entire state, because of legislative action, is a sanctuary state. That's just the uh, that's just the pure hard truth, unfortunately. 
737 at KMED, KCMD. Uh-oh. All my lines are filled up. Oh, no. What craziness will we hear from? Let me go to line one. Hi, who's this? Hey, good morning, Bill. This is Wayne. Hey, Wayne. Are you on a speakerphone, Wayne? Uh, No. Oh, okay, just sound a little, a little echoey, but that's all right. We'll work through it. What's on your mind, Wayne? I'm, I'm on my cell phone. Okay. Uh, I've got to, I got to change the theme just a little bit because I got a boulder in my shoe on Tuesday. Okay, what's that? It's your quality control, and I don't think you're responsible, but you should have an answer. Yesterday, I'm Lars Larson. I'm listening, and for literally ten minutes, Bill, there was a loop of about fifteen seconds, and then just when he, when he's going to get get something, you think he's done with the loop. It goes back, and it goes back. And I tried to record it on my phone, but I couldn't. My, my phone went silent when I hit the record button because it's on Bluetooth and it's on the car and stuff Oh, like okay. That. Now, were you listening on the stream? I guess it was a stream. Oh, okay. Well, if you're listening on the stream, usually when it loops like that, uh, I'm told by the uh, IT that you have lost network connection for whatever reason. And uh, and at sometimes it has to be you know restarted because you're you're streaming on a, a cellular network on the phone network and if the data gets a little spotty it'll go into that loop mode. Now there so may I, have it may have gone down for a little bit yesterday. Sometimes it happens. There are other companies that actually take our signal and then stream it out so you can hear it. And sometimes they'll screw up. And if so, then I'll have to go beat them uh, beat them back into submission. Okay, Wayne. All right. Okay. How do I how do I change my IP? Are you what? Oh no, you you can't. You're with your uh, your cellular network is what you have. You know, whatever you have is what you have. That's all. So I can't fix it. I don't think you can fix it. It probably it may have been something that uh, you know a server went down. Uh, whatever. In other words, stuff happens. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm just surprised that nobody else has called and, and complained that I'm the only one. Well, it may it may have been one of those situations where where do you live in Grants Pass? What ta- what part of town? Well, I'm not in Grants Pass. I'm in uh, Medford. Oh, you're in Medford. Oh, okay. I thought you were in uh, Grants Pass for some reason. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, you could have lost uh, connection. I know even on my cell phone, uh, my cell phone carrier right now, I'm here by the radio station by the airport, and I'm at one bar most of the time. And so if oh, I were no. to try to stream it on the, you know, on the, if I was trying to stream the station not on Wi-Fi for the, the radio station building, but instead uh, doing it on the on the cell phone, it would be a little spotty, and it would drop quite a bit. I know that. And uh, so it's not, uh, the coverage is not as great as they're all claiming, I think, most of the time. But, but anyway... I will look and see if that was a problem on our end. Uh, you're the only one that called. That doesn't mean you're the only one that was affected. Okay? Sure. All right? Bill. All right. Appreciate the call. See, this is the great part about small-town radio. You can actually call the guy and yell at him. You know, yell at the person. Is it? hey, <laughs> I'm trying to listen here. What are you doing? Anyway, hi. Who's this? Good morning. KMED, KCMD. Morning, Bill. Steve in Sunny Valley. Hi, Steve. How are you? I am well. Uh... I had two things to talk about. One of them I haven't heard you talk about yet, and that is that the uh, attorney general in Texas won a pretty substantial victory in the courts last week regarding Pelosi's last budget and how she did it unconstitutionally via uh, absentee uh, voting. Hey, you know, I missed that story. Tell me more. Well, uh, the judge was a very specific in what it uh, included, which was uh, 
things regarding Texas, but mm-hmm. it did leave the door open for other people to pick apart Pelosi's last budget as unconstitutional. Hmm. What might and, that accomplish, do you know? Uh, well, we would get rid of all of these continuing continuing resolutions. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And we would be able to actually pass a Republican budget with Republican priorities. Well, you know, you know, uh, a fella can dream, right? <laughs> right. Well, he, he actually won in court. He won in court. Yeah, I like that. I, I like it. Now you're going to make me look that up. I don't know why I missed that story. I was probably concentrating more on the Measure 110 debacle, you know, around here with our uh, own state legislature. But I'll tell you what, so thank, thanks for the tip on that, okay? My, my next my next topic is closer to home, and it's probably going to make a lot of people angry with me. But you ever think about why that nurse had to steal the drugs and how many people had been taking that drug safely because it was made by a pharmaceutical company and dosed by a pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. and how long she'd been able to do that job just taking the drug to get by before she had to resort to stealing and, and doing harm to people what if there was an alternative where she didn't have to do that what if she could have gotten what she needed just to feel normal and continue her job <sighs> Do you really want a nurse that uh, needs a dose of fentanyl, though, to feel normal? There are people who take all kinds of drugs just to feel normal. A drug mm. is a drug is a drug, whether it's a painkiller or it, it takes the blood sugar out of your uh, bloodstream and puts it into your cells. It's just a drug. Everybody's addicted to dihydrogen oxide. You can't <laughs> live without it. But, but you see, you're talking. You're talking about a natural substance. I don't think that we're primed to. Uh, that would be that would be water. Yeah, I know. I know what it is. Okay. Yeah, I re- I remember the thing we were all joking about that three four years ago, and that was uh, put out there, and people didn't know what dihydrogen <laughs> dihydrogen oxide was, right? Uh, but um, but still, oh, boy. Do we want they're, no? They're as, not I mean, as a as a anymore. As the a, receptors a, are are shot. They're just taking it. Not to be in the pain of withdrawal. They're, they're stuck chasing the monkey on their back. If they can do their job safely, let them do their job. If they can't do the job safely, let them do a job they can do. Don't give them government, Boy. welfare, food stamps, uh, anything like okay, that. Okay, no, I'll give, you, I'll give you that. But my point is, do you think there's anyone in this litigious society that would be willing to take on a nurse. Hey, you know, she's a really good nurse, but, uh, you know, you're going to have to keep her uh, up on uh, fentanyl patches in order to uh, to keep her feeling okay. Would anybody take on that liability? Well, would anybody hire a diabetic? Because if they get their blood sugar a little out of whack, they could go into a coma right mm-hmm. in a crucial time. Yeah, but a lot of people, you know, diabetes, genetic sort of issue, uh, nobody's required to... to you know, go in the fentanyl and synthetic opioid route. Well, what if they got hurt and they got put on the stuff and they couldn't get off it, like so many of our high school athletes? Uh huh. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, I know. There, There's a lot of what about you know what what about yeah what about ism? Here here is where I think we go sideways on fentanyl specifically. So powerful, so small, so compact. You know, so, a, a so grain a grain of sand kills people. Company. You know. A, gra- a, grain of, a grain of it kills people, you know? Right. But that's if it's mixed up in a bathtub by some pusher who came here illegally. Oh, I, w- oh, I wish it was mixed up in a bathtub. No, they're mixing it in uh, labs, you, you know, in labs. Okay. I don't know if you get much support for that 
uh, just say go go ahead and give them the fentanyl, and then uh, hopefully we can keep them as functional addicts. I, I don't know if that's going to save the day right now, but I appreciate you raising it. It's thought provoking. Okay. Lives of people who take a, a pill for a kick and get the wrong stuff. They won't be dying. All right. All, all of these people in the hospital who got cheated out of their fentanyl that was prescribed to them wouldn't be dead when it was substituted. Yeah. Do you really want to trust people, though, that uh, you, well, we know that they're not going to steal the fentanyl and put tap water in the bag because uh, we're giving them fentanyl out of our stores anyway to keep them all right. I, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. Hey, I appreciate the call. I got I got a roll. Everybody else who is online, I will get to your call. I promise. Give me a couple of minutes. This is the Bill Myers Show. Choosing a company to drill your well is a major decision. You have a lot to consider. Experience, reputation, equipment, price, and most importantly, the finished project. Clouser Drilling stands behind their work and guarantees materials and workmanship. Quality and integrity has helped Clouser Drilling grow to be one of the largest drilling companies in the state. They provide the best overall value and make sure the job is done right. Competent and capable. That's Clouser Drilling. Call today for a free written estimate. 476-7795. Visit clouserdrilling.com. Are you adventure ready? Oregon Truck and Auto Authority is your source for overlanding, off-road, and outdoor lifestyle products. Featuring quality options for rooftop tents, racks, bumpers, winches, and recovery gear. LED lighting, dual battery systems, onboard compressors, cargo cases, coolers, and refrigerators. They also offer camp stoves, scuttles, fire pits, tables and chairs, so you're prepared once you've reached your destination. Stop by Oregon Truck and Auto Authority. Your Department of Adventure. KMED, KCMD News, sponsored by Millette Construction, specializing in foundation repair and replacement. Get on solid ground by visiting MilletConstruction.com. Good morning. I'm Marcus Veal with your MC5 Morning News Update. The U.S. and Oregon Departments of Justice are considering legal action against Pacific Corps to recover losses from the 2020 wildfires of Southern Oregon. According to their parent company, Berkshire Hathaway's annual report, the Justice Departments have already informed Pacific Corps they are contemplating filing lawsuits. According to Berkshire Hathaway, the company has already paid out nearly $700 million in settlements for the 2020 wildfires. We reached out to Pacific Corps and the Oregon Department of Justice, but they have not responded. A University of Portland researcher is studying how household cleaners can clean up wildfire smoke. Associate Professor Elliot Gall says wildfire smoke can stay on surfaces and clothes for days or weeks. But his research shows the common household cleaners are effective at removing meaningful amounts of wildfire smoke toxins. Those toxins can have health effects such as respiratory issues and are also known to cause cancer. Gall says he wants to continue researching how long wildfire smoke compounds stay on surfaces. He is also researching ways to make affordable air filters for those who don't have access or can't afford one. For local news anytime, you can head to our website, qbi5.com, or to our Facebook page where we have the latest look at news and weather here in the Rogue Valley. And for NBC5 News, I'm Marcus Veal. Have a fabulous Thursday. This hour of the Bill Meyer Show is proudly sponsored by Phoenix Auto Center Tire Pros and Full Service Auto Repair. Hi, it's Jolene at Phoenix Auto Center Tire Pros. If you're wondering about the condition of your tires, stop in and we'll check your tread level and give you an honest assessment on wear and your ability to navigate wet, slick roads. And if you need new tires, Phoenix Auto Center has a great selection of top brands like General, Hercules, Cooper, 
Continental, Falcon, Mastercraft, BF Goodrich, and more. For the best tire prices and service, see your local family-owned Phoenix Auto Center Tire Pros on Main in Phoenix. Millette Construction has been a general contractor for 40 years. For the last 20 years, they've specialized in foundation repair and replacement. If you have sloping floors, cracks in walls, and windows and doors that are hard to open, you have a foundation problem that's only getting worse. At Millette Construction, they not only fix your foundation and level your house, they solve the water problem that's causing the damage. Get on solid ground. Call Millette Construction for a free estimate. Visit MilletConstruction.com. CCB number 32787. Hi, I'm Dwayne Barkley with American Rancher Garage, and I'm on KMED and KCMD. 10 before 8, uh, the terrifying prospect of open phones on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. But, you know, we're big boys and girls, right? <laughs> Let's go to Jim. Hey, Jim. Another shooter drop with the Asante case. It's interesting. Yesterday, uh, Medford Police more or less said that we're not going to uh, talk about suspects, announce anything. I'm wondering if there's really going to be a court case on this over time, if they can actually make a case. But anyway, what are you thinking about this? Well, there's the two things. There's the uh, the victims. Their their families are suing now. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, uh, even a bigger one probably is the accreditation. Every year, I was in the field for many years, and every year the hospital has to be accredited. These national accreditation uh, organizations, and they basically inspect all the the policies, procedures, everything, number of people who have died and all that stuff. And if you don't pass, so you shut the doors. That's it. So we may lose this hospital, and that would cause another hospital group to have to come in and, and buy a the facility and and uh, run it. That's so, really interesting. That's in other words, if it if it looks like there's enough problems there, I don't know. Is the entire system with one nurse having apparently gotten away with this uh, for a while? You think that's going to put the entire system at risk? You think, really, Jim? Uh, we don't know if it's only one at this point. You know, that's true. Unless, yeah. So we'll see. Um, Boy, there's a lot of we'll see about this, us. isn't there? A lot of that. Yes. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. I, I just know that if I were working at Prov, I, I imagine you're working at Prov, and hey, the same thing could have happened there, I'm sure. You know, this is, uh, I don't want to just blame Asante, but you remember when they were talking about the, uh, just the infections? There was a story a number of months ago about infections because of water quality problems at Asante. And I'm wondering if all this talk about water quality problem really wasn't a water quality problem, but it was a treatment and accountability problem that was masquerading as a water quality problem. Ever think about that? I wonder. Yeah, yeah. That's there's so many pieces to this whole puzzle here. So we'll just see how it develops. That's all right, what we can do at this point. Okay, I appreciate the call, Jim. Let me go to Brad. Hello, Brad. What's on your mind? Hey, it's interesting that you're talking about medical issues. Um, in all seriousness, you interviewed a gentleman that talked about death rates since the COVID intervention. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the guy's name, but he he seemed very credible. The reason I'm calling... Yeah, that's... Uh, gosh, I'm going to have to look that up, but I, but I remember he actually put out a, uh, a book about it. He's just going with the statistics, going with the stats. Yeah. He died suddenly. That's It's the book, Died Suddenly. That's what it is. Well, uh, apparently, uh, Bill, and, and you may be aware of this, but death rates are escalating on um, um and, and and how it's affected my family 
We lost a 21-year-old uh, kid in our family in Northern California. She got sick, uh, throws up all night, goes to the hospital, dies two hours later. Mm-hmm. That was last Wednesday. And they did an autopsy. We don't know the results yet. But there's no explanation for her having this scenario. And, and what I am aware of is death rates in certain areas are escalating. And I don't think that's just a, a BS thing. I think, I, I think it's actually factual. I know uh, uh, one of the larger insurance companies, I think Franklin, announced a year ago that their death claims were up substantially, and all they could connect it to was the COVID scenario. It was the only thing that was uh, common. There is a fellow on uh, Substack, and I didn't save it. Or, of course, I may have it in my pile. I got probably about a hundred articles, you know, sitting in the stack oh, yeah. next to me. You know, that. and. What this uh, gentleman on Substack, I think is a doctor, is bringing up, he has what's called a bolus theory on the COVID-19 vaccine. And, uh-huh. and, I'm, and I'm not a doctor. I'm just going to try to uh, spitball on what he was seeing. He has a theory about why we're seeing the increasing death. And it had to do with a certain number of the COVID-19 vaccinations that were given to people ended up escaping being in the muscle. You know, you're supposed to be injected in the muscle, supposed to stay in the muscle, but some of it uh-huh. ended up uh, getting injected into the the veins or the arteries instead. You know, and and so some of it goes into it, and it's a bolus. You get a whole bunch of these uh, vaccine particles, and they end up going to a lot of places where they weren't supposed to go, creating inflammations and various other, just causing havoc throughout the uh, body in many different areas. Not just one, not just myocarditis, but other things. And his theory is that. This is explaining a lot of the overall increase in all-cause deaths, which have happened since the vaccination programs. Because, and what he was estimating is 10% of the vaccinations given had the bolus problem in which it escaped the muscle and went into the circulatory wow. system instead. You know, Bill, when you, you, you calibrate that, that stat, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if that if that's true. Now that's his theory. That's a theory. That's uh... I know it, it's all theory, Bill. Mm-hmm. But you have this gal that's the uh, I don't know her title, but she's basically the head of a group of doctors. Yeah, uh, Doctor uh, Jane Orion, M.D., Executive yeah, Director of the several times. Yeah, I've talked to her and several she, times about these kind of things. Yeah, yeah, and she is she is uh, basically really relegated a certain elements, you know, without getting too detailed. But there was definitely suspicions in their group, and these are people that know their stuff. Oh, and, oh, and these doctors were pilloried within that group. You know, they're the medical freedom yeah. type of uh, type of doctors. But, uh, you know, I might get her back on, you know, and talk about some of these things. It's been a few weeks since we've uh, talked to well, Dr. Jane Orion. And, by the way, she's with the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS Online. Dot org. Okay. I will, get, I will get back to you. Okay. Because uh, we don't we don't know she's had an autopsy. We don't know what caused the death of this young girl, and it just crushed the family. Well, I have a relative here in Southwest Oregon, who two doctors have said that this individual has been vaccine damaged, and they wow. put it in the charts damaged and. This poor wow. this poor person is having multiple mysterious kind of uh, 
uh, kind of uh, illnesses and endocrine issues and all sorts of other things. And the thing is, every time something goes wrong, goes to the hospital or goes to the emergency room, and it's like there's a lack of curiosity even into why is this guy all of a sudden having these these problems, right? And well, and maybe they don't know what to do. That could be it. Just as a side note to this whole topic, I'm a cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. My family beat the hell out of me over vaccines with the COVID. I took none of them. And I refused to put that stuff in my body. And it's interesting to just kind of watch these statistics that did you enumerate on your show. We're finding out more and more stuff, and more and more will come out. Yeah. Weren't all the unvaccinated and unmasked supposed to be dead by now? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just going to save and leave it at that. Thank you, my friend. I got to go because there are a lot of people waiting here. I got to go to, I want to make sure that uh, Josh gets a call in here. Josh, you sent me an interesting story from NBC Boston. Interesting story. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I I couldn't believe it when I when I when I heard about it, and then when I read the article, and I just thought it'd be interesting to share with your listeners, and um, they can read it themselves. Um, it's an NBC Boston story. Uh, the headline is "Migrant Family from Haiti Shares Experience Finding Host Home in Brookline," and it's about um, a, a wonderful family taking in a migrant family that they did not know, and they have them in their house and their servants, and it oh. talks about this. It says, yeah. You know, um, my daughter now wakes up much brighter that they're here in my house. And uh, in other words, the illegal yeah. diversity has just in, improved their lives to such a great it's extent. It's just unreal. You know, uh-huh. she feels like she has her own personal chef as the uh, servant loves cooking. And it's just quite ridiculous. And my, my little crackpot theory is they're normalizing people to maybe get a push to house migrants in your own homes. You are absolutely right about that, in fact. Uh, have you ever read Matt Bracken's novels, by chance? You ever heard about Matt have Matt Bracken? You ever heard of him? No, I haven't. you got to look so, him up. M-A-T-T okay. Bracken, B-R-A-C-K-E-N. And he wrote a series of novels, uh, Enemies Foreign and Domestic. And in one of them, in one of them, this is about, uh, you know, a breakup of the crazy United States with the West and the East Coast kind of, you know, gone all commie, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. one of the things that they found out is that, uh, you know, there was housing equity in uh, someone ended up going home to their to their family home in one particular East Coast city, from what I recall in the plot line. And they were filled with migrants and the government just assigned them. Well, you have this nice big house and uh, you have way too much housing privilege. And so you may start Wait, off as a servant. But this written. Yeah. And they wrote this. Yeah. And they wrote when this. Uh, I think he. I think he wrote this book about eight nine years ago. Enemies, foreign and domestic. It's a great series of books. I will look that up. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's it's one of the plot lines, and that's why when you're talking about this, all right, yeah, they're they're servants today, and then tomorrow they're forced occupants of your home. You watch. It's eight o'clock. Let me go to Matt. Hey, Matt. Great to have you on. What's on your mind? Mm -hmm. Hey, Bill. Well, I've got two things. I've got a comment on the nurse on drugs, and then I've got a conspiracy theory. Okay. I'm, I am so tired of the argument that if we would just get them good, clean drugs made in a proper laboratory, that these people wouldn't be a problem in society. You hit it on the head. If I'm in the hospital, I don't want a, a nurse who's taking those drugs. And to compare it to insulin, which is not addictive, is ridiculous. And also, anybody who's been addicted to anything knows that... The addiction only grows stronger, and more drugs are always required over time. Nobody wants a nurse who's thinking about her next fix 
working around them. Yeah, you want to be in Providence or Asante, and then, uh, you know, your doctor walks in and is uh, slapping his arm, you know, trying to get a vein to pop, <laughs> that kind of thing. Or, or, you know, or he's scratching himself, you know, scratching him or herself because, you, know, uh, you know, the little creepy crawlies are coming in from his methamphetamine addiction. I don't know. I, I don't mean to make light of it, all right? It's a tragedy, but, but still. It is. But, but it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I'm so tired. I hear Greg Gutfeld make this argument all the time. Well, if the drugs were made in a lab and you could get them easily, then we wouldn't have all these people living in the street. That's not true. None of that is right. Hey, we were told that all we had to do was legalize uh, marijuana in Oregon, and all of a sudden the illegal market would go away. Remember that? It exploded. Yeah. So my here's my here's my conspiracy. This is really a conspiracy, but... I understand that Kamala Harris was talking about getting college students through a work program which the federal government will fund to register voters for Democrats. Now, the conspiracy is I don't I know they want to register students as Democrats. I get that. Sure. But I think this is really cover to register illegal aliens or not register illegal aliens, but when there's a huge boost in the number of voters in those swing states, they can say, oh, this was due to our work program. We had college students out registering Democrat voters, hmm. when in reality, it's going to be illegal aliens actually voting. I think you could be right. Good theory. Always interesting. And you are a thought-provoking caller. We appreciate it greatly. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. Matt from Grants Pass. Now then. All right. I know there's a couple people holding on. I just ran out of time right now, but uh, never fear. After 830, I will have more open phones. And so we can fill it up with all the craziness that you want. Yes, even if it ends up being about geoengineering. I, I, I don't know if I want to do lots of geoengineering, but, you know, it is Conspiracy Theory Thursday. OK, yeah, this is three after eight and uh, KMED, KMED HD1 Eagle Point Medford is where you're listening at 106.3 FM. And also uh, 99.3 KCMD Grants Pass, translator K294AS Ashland. I'm going to talk with uh, Ilya Shapiro here. Give me about six, seven minutes to uh, to get to him. And he was in front of the Supreme Court yesterday as the bump stock case was being argued. I want to get the latest on that coming up.